0: Pray, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, and we thank you for your word and how it speaks to us, how it dissects us, how it knows us, how it ministers to us—not just from the outside, but from the on the inside, Lord. And so, Lord, as we come to this um, really uh, famous and really wonderful, but in some ways very terrifying passage, uh, we ask that you would uh, bless us with um, the knowledge of our need for you, and for your intervention uh, upon us and in our lives. So we ask God now that you would just open your word to our hearts, and uh, our hearts to your word, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Alright, so we are uh, going through uh, what were the Essential 100, and um, I would really recommend uh, this book uh, to you, and it's, all it is is just a little commentary, uh, this week we're covering uh, chapters 3, 4, and 5 in, in this. Uh, we've passed out a little handout next week, uh, last week I mean, and we're going to pass out a handout for next week too, so you know what scriptures to look at. Uh, but we are in what we call the universal portion of Genesis. So this is uh, really telling the story, uh, setting the stage for what is the issue that the Bible is uh, is connecting with, and the issue is the gap between God, a holy God. And uh, sinful humanity. And so, this universal portion, what I mean by that, it's not just uh, uh, chapter 12, which we'll begin with next week, uh, really covers, begins to cover what is, uh, how, how does God handle his people? And we begin with Abram, and he's over in Iraq, and God moves him to the land of Canaan, and we begin that whole story. But right now, we're talking about all of humanity all of humanity. One thing that I forgot to mention last week was something I've said many times before. Uh, We read the Bible the way the Bible wants to be read. It's a really important concept. We read the Bible the way the Bible wants to be read. And what I mean by that is you have different genres. Sometimes you have narrative and you just need to take it at face value. Sometimes you have poetry. Sometimes you have metaphor. Sometimes you have apocalypse. You know, you need to read those things the way it wants to be read. You wouldn't read, um, uh, let's see, <laughs> this just shows the lack of literary prowess that I have. But you wouldn't read a a poet. Tell me the name of a famous poet. Sandberg. Sandberg. Yeah, that was, that's what I was going to say. You pass the test. <laughs> um, you wouldn't read Carl Sandberg the way that you uh, would read uh, Shakespeare. You wouldn't read Shakespeare the way that you read. Um, yes. Tennyson, <laughs> That's, yeah, like I was reading yesterday, uh, you, you wouldn't read Tennyson the way that you read uh, Garfield. You know, so um, uh, you read different genres differently. And, um, you know, we read a lot of, of uh, comic books in my house, so uh, I, that satisfies my intellect. Um, and, then, and so the trick is then, if we read the Bible the way it wants to be read, according to its genre, the trick is figuring out what genre it is. Sometimes it's really plain, and sometimes it's, it's, we're not quite sure. You know, like we looked at last week, the um, the creation narrative in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, does it mean to be, is it meant to be taken literally, 24 hours uh, for a day, or is it meant to be taken uh, poetically, sort of um, as, as an, uh, the 24 hours, the days, or sort of epical times? It has been translated and interpreted both ways uh, by devout Christians. And I, I sort of told you last week that I kind of, Handle that uh, in, as a sort of um, it, as an orchestral prelude. It's it's a scientific, I mean, um, poetic, nuanced, artistic uh, parallel way of talking about uh, creation, uh, and and so figuring out how to read it. And we're going to come up with that same dilemma as we look at Noah. Another thing I want to just mention: uh, I talked last week about how evolution. Uh, sort of, I think is compatible with the with the days of of, of um, creation. I do want to say that I, I think that I don't think it was just monkeys and, and then gorillas and then humans and and we uh, just sort of came there. I think there was a uh, decided creation of humanity, and God uh, created us to have a relationship with Him, and there was a cho- he gave us free will. There was a choice, and they walked away from that in the sovereignty of His plan. <coughs> Because we are to be redeemed. That's, 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 I do want to make sure I, that you understand that. I'm not just saying that evolution in all its, all its glory. is, is um, I just want to make sure. I do think uh, that God has given, a, given us a, a world that evolves. Sort of my, macroevolution, microevolution. Uh, however you want to say that. So, I just want to mention that as well. As we approach Noah, we, the question is, is this uh, the description of an historic event in which God flooded the earth, and a man built a boat and put all the animals on it. Is this is this a hist- is are we reading history, or are we reading a legend or a, like a myth that is just telling? It's like a fable, right? Are we reading that uh, in order to uh, again paint the picture of the consequences of sin and and judgment? Uh, is this a, a, just telling the true situation of? Uh, sin, judgment of God, deliverance of grace, or, or is it historical narrative? How, how do you? What's your experience with with Noah? Or, or do you have you just kind of lived in that conflict? Have you answered that question? Have you have you wondered about that?
1: Well, I'll step yeah. I'm not afraid to step out. Yeah. Um, based on corresponding other cultures that have the same types of flood stories, I believe that it really was.
0: Yeah. So Katie said that there are plenty of other cultures that have a mega flood story. Um, the most famous is, is uh, Babylonian uh, Gilgamesh. You may have heard that as well. So yes, there, so yes, it does seem that there was, I mean, I think even uh, geologically they have determined that there was a catastrophic flood um, in that sense. And I'll tell you one thing it's not. I mean, whether it's a historic event or a uh, a legend, uh, one thing it's not is a children's story, <laughs> uh, and we're going to talk about that uh, as well. But I I'll tell you, wh- basically, when I read the Bible, I'm going to err on the side of a literal interpretation um, if the genre is not exactly clear. Um, if it if it's clearly it wants to be read as um, as poetry, then I'm going to read it as poetry. Metaphor. Jesus said, "I am the door." I don't think he was actually a door. I don't mean, we take it literally in that sense, but um, I think that this is a a, um, a a true event. It tells and it tells the situation. So it's a true event that happened, and the way that it has given to us is told in such a way that tells the consequences of sin. Uh, and and so I doubt, personally. And again, if you believe it, I'm so happy with that. Don't. Label me as a heretic if you believe it. I doubt that the whole earth was flooded. Like there was a big globe of water. Because where would the water go? That What I think is the whole known world. It was a catastrophic flood. And all the animals of that region. Or many uh, species were brought onto the boat. That's just what I understand. how I understand it. Um, to me that doesn't take away anything from the story. If that takes away from the story. I'm happy for you to believe. That the whole earth was a ball of water. And God just took the water away. That's that's fine. But. But. Um, they, they gather many pairs of animal species that were alive. Um, so, most, the most important uh, lesson is the spiritual lesson. I mean, it really is. Uh, and, the, and the spiritual lesson that the story of Noah's Ark tells uh, is very relevant. It's an ancient, ancient story, and yet it is very, very contemporary. So, last week we saw that the um, the creation and the fall, and what we see here is the consequences of the fall, that the whole earth is wicked, all of humanity uh, is anyway. So I'm beginning with verse 5 in Genesis chapter 6. Don't ask me about verses 1 through 4. I, I, I don't understand. If you read it and you think, I'm going to ask him what it would about. <laughs> Google it. I'm sure it's true. Uh, whatever they say. Um, I don't know what to make of it. Um, I will, I will say that uh, somebody raised their hand in my Old Testament class in seminary and said, Tell me, what about the Nephilim? And I immediately started playing Spider Solitaire. So I... Um, so the... Um, but that was the only time that ever happened. Um, <laughs> verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That is bleak, right? That is bleak. The Lord saw the wickedness of man. So this is what the Lord saw. Evil, not just actions, but motivations. Uh, Evil, uh, great, the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made uh, man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So we see what the Lord, God saw, and what God Felt and then what is God going to do about it? Verse 7, so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But, verse 8, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So at least in some sense, Every thought of the heart of humanity was evil continually, and yet there is this one guy who is walk, who's blameless, he's righteous, he's walking uh, in God's sight. Um, there is a moral canyon between God and humanity, and that's the story that this is telling. And it, um, humanity only and always violates the code of God's will for His creation. Now remember what we said, if Adam and Eve chose to walk away from God in that moment. They ceased to become perfect, and they cannot beget perfect people now. And so when we say that you are heirs of uh, this original sin, uh, that sin is imputed to you. It doesn't mean you are found guilty of their sin, but that you are heirs, we are all heirs, of people who are not perfect. Look at your parents and your grandparents. You know they're not perfect. right? They need a Savior just like you need a Savior. And that's what we're seeing. We see imperfect people. I don't think what the question is: What was meant by evil? Like, what is the description? Is it horror movie all the time? My guess is no. Evil is simply contrary uh, to the nature and the will of God. And you know that there. You can look in your own life. You can and know that that things can be uh, socially acceptable and really have maintained some sort of order and be contrary to the will of God. You know that there are people who are great people, who do amazing things that have no care at all for God. That they're just That's just not part of their life and their sphere of, of thinking. And I think that's probably what's going on here, at least part of it. I, you know, there's probably lots of violence and stuff. I just don't think it means they, they all were drinking and spitting and murdering all the time. I think that they were... Uh, they were just absent a relationship with God. That is evil. Is it is con- is contrary. Uh, part of the the seduction of that is you look at someone who's amazing and um, and not religious, not, not oriented toward God, and you think, well, maybe I don't need that. Maybe I don't. And so there's a there's a um, a gravity away from God in that sense. Uh, so God was not considered. Uh, life was not valued, creation may have been exploited, but I think it ultimately means they were self-concerned. Which is the, the root of evil. And we can do all sorts of evil things because we're self-concerned, really horrible things. But the truth is, it doesn't have to always be awful. Right? To be contrary to God's will is to be done um, not for His glory. And if you could do something really good not for His glory, that I think that's if we can understand that in one, at least in one sense as contrary to the will of god Does that makes sense am i are you tracking with me there i don't mean i just don't think it's all horror movies all the time yes don't you think that's a temptation It's a temptation to do something else. yes it's a temptation yeah i mean that's part of the the whole god doesn't tempt us god doesn't tempt us it's
1: the opportunity to do other than his will.
0: well i mean that's the whole thing about what that's the story that the that the the story of the fall tells us is that we were tempted to be in God's place. I know better than God does about what's good for my life. Right? Whether it's eating a piece of fruit or whether it is you know doing whatever yeah our whole our whole. you, you don't have to dig very hard, far in your own heart to, to figure that one out. So it, let's see where I am. So God's reaction is very interesting. God's reaction here he do, it doesn't express anger. And I think that's important. That means God's anger is not like our... And God does get angry. He's not, it's not like I get angry. I get angry when my kids do something inconvenient, uh, when my, my wife doesn't do something that I want. You know, that's, it's, I'm angry because it, it's inconvenient for me. Um, God's anger is holy. He's not just insecure. I'm insecure. That's how I get angry.
1: But you don't think that obliteration is not anger?
0: Well, we're going to talk about that. So the question was, you don't think obliteration is, is anger? Okay, that's, good. that's a good guess. Fair point. Um, but what, what, um, what, we're, what is described in verse 6, the Lord regretted that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him to His heart. So we have regret, and we have grief. And yet, does anybody else have a problem? I mean, does it see that that presents a problem? That God, Almighty, Sovereign above all, that He uh, says, oops... <laughs> that presents a problem, doesn't it? I don't think that we are to understand that God felt like he had made a mistake. He created humanity as the crown of creation, as his vice regent, and now he and humanity were separated. And holiness cannot abide unholiness. Like that's really important for us to understand. It's not that he sees humanity as departed and he's like, I, am, I told you not to. I'm so mad. I told you to get in bed at, at, you know, at 9 o'clock and you didn't. It's 10 o'clock and I'm going to spank you. That's, I don't think that that is what is happening. I think is, recognizing that there is a, um, a gap between his holiness and their unholiness. And un, if holiness is to um, come into contact with unholiness, it ceases to be holy. There can't be a blending. And so the only thing that holiness can do to that unholiness is to wipe it out. The problem is their part of His creation is attached to that unholiness. And so this is judgment. It's just a function of His holiness. Yes, Joyce? I, I don't see it as anger. I see it as
1: frustration.
0: Well, again, putting I, I don't disagree, but I want us to be careful... I mean, the Bible does use the word anger. I want us to be careful about putting our own emotions and way we would feel onto God, because He is not uh, like us. Does that make sense? So we want to understand that His holiness is a function of His righteousness and His holiness. I mean, his, his judgment is a function of His holiness and righteousness and His love, because He loves us too much to let us just continue that way. There have to be consequences of, about that. Uh, It is not akin to human anger that is typically born out of insecurity. Um, He will wipe out sinners, not just sin. Right? It's not just slap on the wrist. Sinners are defined by their sin before a holy God. And not before us, right? We don't sit in God's place and judge uh, other people's sin. Um, We fall on our knees and, and repent and ask forgiveness. So when I see your sin... I recognize that as because I know my sin, and we can seek God together. So God's position is necessarily different uh, than ours. So this is the expulsion from the garden on a global scope, right? God judges sin why? Because the op- it is the, it is the opposite of very good. He looked at his creation and said it is very good, and then that that gap that came in uh, is contrary to that. We understand God's judgment. Um, he's not like you and me. He's not resentful. He's not insecure. He's not needing to control things. He's God. Humanity is judged uh, by His own standard, and humanity is judged because it has rejected His godness. Okay. In other way, one way to think about it is this: We sin because we are sinners, not the other way around. We're not sinners because we sin. I, because that way, if you stop sinning, you cease to be a sinner. You're all. You're always going to be. You're worse, We are separate from God. That's the story that this is telling. That's the reason Jesus came, right? But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Remember, this whole thing is just setting up the problem that the whole Bible addresses. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, uh, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Again, whispers of the garden, right? Adam walked in the cool of the day with the Lord. Uh, There's relationship. There's knowledge. Uh, He walked with God. And and so, we can deduce that righteousness, that blamelessness, came from that relationship. He didn't just look and say, well, I mean, there's actually one guy who hadn't screwed this whole thing up. Uh, He looked and said there was someone who was walking with him. Uh, There's no description of why he was the only one. We're not told anything specific about Noah. Except that he was holy. He was righteous. He walked with God. He had that relationship. And so God shares his plan with Noah. He doesn't ask his opinion. Hey, what do you th- I'm, I'm kind of mulling over um, a, a total annihilation. What do you think about that? He, uh, he didn't go through that. Yeah, Jim.
1: Um, there's another possibility here. Because um, when God destroyed the earth and preserved Noah and his family, he didn't eliminate sin. It was still there. They carried it with them. No, I. But um, there is another possibility that has to do with those first four verses that we um, skipped over, um, and that's that the very DNA of humanity had been corrupted, and that's what the problem was that needed to be resolved, and that's what wiping out humanity.
0: So Jim said the very DNA of humanity has been corrupted. That's that is sin. I mean that's that's the garden. That's that's what we are heirs of. I mean I I, I think we're well, on the same page with that.
1: Two different things there. But, um, we corrupted ourselves internally, but there was an external influence either when it talks about the sons of God intermingling with humanity.
0: Well, like I said, I'm not really prepared to, to talk about that. I don't disagree. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I just, I'm just not prepared to, to talk about that. Um, I do think, uh, that, I mean, you may be right about that. However, um, nevertheless, God gives Noah uh, instructions for building the ark. Okay, I'm going to sh- just, a couple little things here this is this is what we normally see, right this is what you uh, th- this is what you put in your kids' nursery. you know this is the cute the so kindly Noah with happy animals. you see the lion just resting gently on the side of the uh, of the boat and uh, enormous parrots uh, or either very small giraffes I'm not sure which they're they're uh, um, typically when we understand. Uh, we think about Noah's Ark and we understand it this way, we don't think about what's going on underneath the water, right? Just with all of humanity being wiped out. Um, It it is not a children's story uh, because it is, uh, the ark would have been awful and smelly. There are lots of other uh, ways to think about uh, Noah's Ark, but this is the typical way um, that we think about it, this little houseboat and um, happy happy animals. this is—I don't know if anybody saw the movie Noah with Russell Crowe a few year a couple years ago. Uh, that's two hours of my life that I will never get back. Uh, I thought it was a terrible movie, uh, but I do actually really like the way that they constructed the ark. It was um, uh, there's nothing in there about a house or a roof on top. It's just a box. It's 300 cubits long, which is about 450 feet, and um, and it's 45 feet high, and there's three levels, and it's just it, that movie actually. There were some good parts about it. One of is, it is that it just painted this really bleak, awful, terribly boring uh, floating, and, and just it would have been an awful situation, and, and it, that's the way it painted it. And so I, that was interesting. Um, you may have seen that uh, this this is in uh, the Netherlands, I think. A guy built this ark to be just like uh, the ark as it was described in the Bible. Again. He took some liberties because there's, he doesn't talk about the house on, on top. but that's, He built this thing, and then I think he tried to sail it to Brazil. I never heard how that turned out. Um, did he make it? Anybody know? Uh, this, this is in Kentucky, uh, the Ark Encounter. Um, it's finished now. It's been uh, open, open about two years. It looks like a really amazing... Anybody been to it in, in Kentucky? Um, and I just wanted to show... Uh, this particular picture, because it shows how massive it was with the cranes and everything, it is massive. It says it's built exactly according to the specs in the Bible, uh, although it's about 60 feet longer than it says in the Bible. But that's, that was just an oversight. Um, the, um, right.
1: So.
0: Well, that's right. They, they didn't include the gift shops. Uh, that was. That was um, so build an ark of gopher wood, 400 feet, 450 feet long. Uh, the largest cruise ship in the world is 1180 feet long. So if you've been on a cruise, uh, that's the largest in the world. If you've been on a cruise, let's we'll call it a thousand feet, it's about half that length. Right? About half that length. And um, But it's still a football field and a half. Uh, it, it does still, we think, hold the record for the largest floating zoo uh, on the planet. Um, uh, and, Verse 7, I'm in chapter 7, verse 6. Noah was, it says, Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon earth. That is is amazing to think about. Before, um, people, shortly after Noah, we see the span of years getting shorter and shorter. And then God finally says, You got 120, that's it. Um, Which is about right. But Noah was 600 years old. That is um, amazing. Every living thing was blotted out. Only Noah was left and those who were with him on the ark. It's his his sons, uh, presumably their wives. Uh, And it says that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. But the waters prevailed upon the earth for 150 days. So they're out there for like 8 or 9 months. With all sorts of animals. Can you imagine the stench? Um, I don't know how they fed them. Uh, I don't know how uh, they... Got rid of waste. I don't. Uh, I don't know how they ate themselves without killing any animals. I um, which would have been a problem, and um, and it just, but if you think about the. I mean, just it would. The movie does a good job. It's just a dark time. He kind of goes a little crazy in the movie, and I can and I can understand that. It Doesn't say that in the Bible, um, chapter eight, verse one. But God remembered Noah. That's important. This is not a psychological event like I forgot about Noah. What was I? Do? Oh my gosh. I, <laughs> there, I remember now there were a couple that I left alive. I needed to attend to them. That, that's not what uh, it means when God remembered Noah. This is a saving event. Uh, it is an active extension of divine mercy and intervention. So we see in Genesis 19 that God remembered Noah. Abraham uh, in Exodus 2 that God remembered his covenant. It's not like God was forgetful and, and then was going back through his notes and said, Oh, I forgot. You know, he, um, he was extending his grace. That's, that's what it is to say he was remembered. And then he made a covenant with Noah. He says he will never again, uh, f- never again will a flood destroy the earth. Doesn't mean it won't destroy parts of the earth uh, for a temporary time. Um, but God made a covenant, and the sign of that covenant was the rainbow. And I want to read um, about that event from the Jesus Storybook Bible, which we give to all of our families. If you have a family and you've not gotten one of these, um, you know, families of young kids, um, we'd love to give it to you or your grandkids. But it's a, uh, it's a wonderful thing, beautifully uh, beautifully illustrated And this is what Sally Lloyd-Jones said, incredible theology in this. Uh, This is what she says. And there in the clouds, just where the storm meets the sun, was a beautiful bow made of light. It was a new beginning in God's world. It wasn't long before everything went wrong again, but God wasn't surprised. He knew that this would happen. That's why, before the beginning of time, He had another plan, a better plan. A plan not to destroy the world, but to rescue it. A plan to one day send His own Son, the Rescuer. God's strong anger against hate and sadness and death would come down once more, but not on His people or His world. No, God's war bow was not pointing down at His people. it was pointing up into the heart of heaven. So that's just a, a very nice sort of artistic way to think of God's war bow. It's not pointing down His people in judgment. It's pointing up into heaven. And of course, why is that? Because heaven itself would take His own judgment upon Himself in, in the cross. So what can we take from this story as Christians? Alright? Number one, uh, there's probably many, many things. But number one, sin is serious. Sin is serious. God judges sin because He's God. And we don't have to take that uh, upon ourselves. He can handle it. But remember, sin is taking God's place. Not simply a, uh, a list of things He wants us to do. So God judges sin because He's God. And when I say we don't have to take that upon ourselves, what I mean is we don't need to judge other people's sin. He's, he's the judge. We can leave that to Him. But we do those things. Uh, we sin when we have taken His place in our own hearts. Okay? That's what sin is. Sin is not just a list of things to avoid. Because if you avoid it, then you wouldn't need sin. That's what kind of way I approached my own Christianity for a long time. I just got to stop doing those things. And about drove me nuts. Um, literally. And when I realized, actually, I just, I'm not ever going to fix this. I need God to fix it for me. So, God is the only one who can deliver us from His own judgment. So, The ark is really the gospel in embryo. The ark is God's intervening deliverance of humanity from His own judgment. God was going to wipe out sin from the earth, and He gave a means of escape. He gave it to one member, uh, one person in His family, and now to God's own family He has given a means of escape from His own judgment. God is the only one who can deliver us from God. And so He's given us the cross. That's how He has delivered us. The cross is our ark. Um, so the go- the ark is the gospel uh, in embryo. So, and again, as Jim said, the fin- final thing is that sin wasn't actually washed away. If you've ever been to the Sistine Chapel and looked up on the ceiling, Michelangelo has amazing things. In the very last... Uh, in, this, in the very last scene, there's the flood, and the very last one is called the drunkenness of Noah. And when I was there, uh, the God was like, we, nobody really knows why Michelangelo just picked this obscure uh, little passage that really seems to have nothing to do with anything. And I said... Are you kidding? <laughs> what? What? What is um, actually? What I, I, I? said it to myself because we were just tagging along. Uh, get somebody to pay for him to say that. Um, we were just overhearing uh, them, pretending like we were minding our own business. But um, sin wasn't washed away. That's the whole point. So he became a farmer. He he grew a vineyard and he um, and he got drunk. And there's this whole thing about his shame and his children covering him. Um, What this says is more deliverance is going to be necessary. And it points us ahead. So Jim's right. Absolutely. He did not uh, wash away sin. I would love to spend a lot of time on the Tower of Babel. Uh, we've got five minutes. Um, I think maybe, my, my wife says it's Babel and not Babel. Uh, that's a whole discussion that may right there, take up the five minutes. I, um, I uh, encourage you to take a look at that, and we can look at it if we want. I, I don't want to move past this. There's some maybe some furrowed brows. Uh, what, what questions or um, comments, or clarifications do you need from what I've... How'd you say? See what a good job you did. Yeah, well, thanks be to God.
1: You shut everybody
0: in. Okay, so remember, this is telling the story. This is telling the
1: story.
0: <laughs> this is telling the story of of why we need a savior, right? And then, it's, and really, all all of the rest of it, Bible This is setting us up before we go next week to the um, narrows it down. And the last, the last, vignette about about the distance between God and humanity is the Tower of Babel. Uh, one, the whole earth had one language. May have been local dialects. Doesn't say there weren't. There's a lot of scholars who got hung up on that. Uh, it just says that we had one lingua franca. Um, they came from the east. Lots of things um, have come from the east already. Uh, and we see that uh, Noah, um, the flood. Nah, I'm going to mess that up. Uh, Adam and Eve. Uh, were condemned to the east. These came from the east, uh, from Mesopotamia, southern Iraq. Uh, They made brick, then they made mortar, then they said, let's build a city, and they said, let's build a tower. So, uh, a tower that builds, reaches up into heaven. Uh, It is a fortified tower. So, let's look at this. Uh, This is what most people, um, artists kind of render it this way. Uh, And I've got a few other slides, but um, we might get to those, but that's, that's it's, people call it a ziggurat. I'm, I can't tell you all about that, but it's a, um, they just began to make this massive, massive tower uh, reaching all the way up uh, to heaven. So, um, wow. uh, every time in these chapters that humanity tries to assert itself over God, uh, it is unsuccessful. So this is the last lesson in that section. Um, they wanted to be settled. This says they came from Mesopotamia. They wanted to be settled, and they wanted to be great. So we want to make a name for ourselves, the way they're going to make a name for themselves to make this tower that reached up to heavens. Instead, what they ended up with, because they were um, uh, because they were trying to put themselves in God's places, they got dispersed, and they got shamed, and they got confused. And that's, that's where we're left in this section. Um, every time that... Uh, humanity tries to assert itself, it's unsuccessful. That's the lesson in this section. Uh, There is enmity between God and humanity, the essence of which humanity uh, is humanity trying to be divine. Trying to put itself in God's place. And God's not having it. So what's going to be done about it? That's the rest of the Bible. That's the rest of the Bible. So, um, it, again, it's not just that they were hard headed. So they were heirs of Adam and Eve, just like you and me. So, what's to be done? And that's what the Bible answers the rest of its pages and what we'll be answering for the next I don't know, nine months. Thank you. Yes. Questions, thoughts, comments? Yes, Kate. Dr. Stanley this
1: morning um, actually was preaching upon the Tower of Babel, mm-hmm. and he said, uh, it was like you were saying, the self-centeredness, the sin of self-centeredness, when Adam and Eve were passed out of the Garden, they were, and, and at creation, they were told to go and populate the earth, mm-hmm. and instead, here, the people wanted to come all in one place, and have a stronghold, mm-hmm. and... And it's the exact opposite of what God wants. One of the greatest sins against God is not to do. Yeah. You know when He specifically tells you to do
0: something. I, I can certainly go there. Let me let me say this. I, I um, the, the Tower of Babel is uh, finds its resolution at Pentecost, where all if everyone is dispersed and confused and everybody has different languages. Uh, it is at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descends upon the people and is given to the people that they are united and they can all understand the one, uh, the one message. Uh, that one message, is, of course, is about Christ and about the good works of God. So, uh, so that I, I think that is a, a very provides a really wonderful bookend um, in, in Scripture where we see the confusion and then we see the uh, drawing together from all nations uh, in one language uh, in Pentecost. All right. Next week, Abram becomes Abraham. Cut. We'll talk a lot about covenant and call. God. Oh, let me give get these uh, handouts out. God bless.